And today we're going to be wrapping up a four-week series called The Ultimate Road Trip. We've done our best over the last several weeks to just remind you that God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. And if we're honest, if we're honest, sometimes we have a tendency to plan better and more intentionally for our vacations that are coming up than we even do our daily lives. And as Pastor Jim would say, he would say, amen, oh me, or ouch, right? It could be any one of those. But today we wanted to zero in on one of the absolute best parts of any road trip. Drum roll, please. Here we go. Best part of any road trip. Here it is. It's the hangs. Okay, it's the peeps, the posse, the crew, the gang, the besties for the resties. Why don't you fist bump someone that is that for you, around you? And here's what you already know. Who you invite to go with you on your road trip. Some of you are like, I got a lot of fist bumps to do, Pastor Tito. Hold on, hold on. But who you invite to go with you on your road trip is directly correlated to how much fun that you're going to have. Don't even play. You already know your car has limited space and it already feels like HR's got your vacay up on like a shot clock and the time's ticking down. Every second counts. And who you invite is pivotal to the entire experience. It will 100% make or break your me time potentially into thousands of sad little pieces of could have beens and should have beens and never would have beens because you invited negative Nancy to attend you on your trip or can't stop complaining Carl or always got a potty Peter, right? Some of you know that one. And some of you right now are having this aha moment. You're like, wait, is that why nobody ever invites me to stuff? (laughs) Hashtag, I'm just trying to be honest. All right, I'm just saying, it's a big deal. And the truth is, a road trip can be the litmus test to the health of our relationships. Because after you spend hours and hours in a car with somebody, after you've shared a room, after you've gone through every single song on each other's road trip playlists, right? You can only be making your way downtown, you know, so many times. And you spend every single waking moment together, things start getting real. And sometimes things start getting a little too real. And next thing you know, it was for better, but now it's for worse. It's definitely becoming in sickness and not in health. And you just might feel some death do you part steering in your soul. And you know this is absolutely true. And anybody in the room who's been there said, amen. Now don't point, don't point. Some of you are like, it's his fault, it's her fault. But just the way we know that this is absolutely true, it is also true that your friends have the ability to determine the quality and the direction of your life. Let me say that again. Your friends have the ability to determine the quality and the direction of your life. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says it like this. Two are better than one. And so you're like, I know, Pastor. That's why I always show up to your young adult gatherings, and I'm like, 35. Two are better than one. I'm trying. I'm trying here, Pastor Tito. Chill out. (laughs) Well, that's not exactly what we're talking about today. But... If you'll just listen, listen to what Solomon says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And you know how it is. Because when you partner with the right people, when you've got the right team around you, there's just this synergy. 
and stuff just starts happening. It's like you make every shot you take, you can't lose, and suddenly you're a baller, shot caller, 20-inch blades on your, the whole thing, and it's absolutely invigorating. But you also know what it's like when you get stuck on a group project. Oh, I know, I know, it hurts me just to talk about it. You fast forward a couple weeks and suddenly it's all due tomorrow and you're staying up by yourself all night working your stubby little fingers to the bone so you don't fail English class, so you don't fail Spanish class, so your boss doesn't say during the next series of budget cuts, I will cut you, right? (laughs) And then Solomon says this phrase, and I love this, it's so good. He says, if either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. And that's huge. I feel like that could almost be the job description of a good friend. That when you fall down, they help you up. And when they fall down, you help them up. It's mutual accountability. It's reciprocated responsibility. One of the saddest things that I hear high schoolers and young adults come to me and say pretty regularly is they'll say things like, I feel like I'm always there for them, but they're not really there for me. And friends, can I tell you, if you're wearing a facade that makes you out to be too perfect to confess what you're really going through with your friends, that's a lonely, lonely, lonely place to be. And listen carefully to the sad admonition of Solomon, who was world-renowned for his wisdom and wealth. He had money, he had women, he had fame, but you could almost hear the embarrassed humility in his voice as he pins the next line. He says, but pity anyone pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up because he'd been there because he'd tried to front as the all-knowing all-perfect all always present king but friends those are titles only reserved for our king Jesus and there's nothing lonelier than the paper-thin disguise we wear in our attempts to appear sinless to appear flawless to appear problemless And then Solomon takes it a step further. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, if you're weak on your own, which we all are, if you can't always handle everything on your own, which, listen, none of us really can. If you're drowning, then you need a friend. You need a friend. And here's what scripture says, basically, the more the merrier. And you know how it is, because we live in such a self-made, self-sufficient, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps kind of society, that it feels counterintuitive to think that we might actually really truly need other people. But we do, because we were created this way. Even in the story of creation, Moses takes into account an oral tradition that had been passed on for thousands and thousands of years. And you'll hear as he recounts the story how frequently he uses the word good to describe how God feels about his work. God created light and it was good. God created the lands and the seas and it was good. The fruit, the trees, it was good. The sun, moon, birds, seas, creatures, animals, everything God made good. And over here, seven times, God looks at what he made and God says how good it is. But the very first time we ever hear God say that anything is not good, it was, listen, it was before sin was introduced to humanity. Now this is a big deal. 
The first time God says anything is not good, it was even before the fateful moment when Adam and Eve introduced sin and disobeyed God directly. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, if you have your Bibles. It says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And notice, tune into this, the first time God says that anything isn't good. It was dealing with man's loneliness and with man's need for community. In other words, good friends are more important than you realize. For a million reasons. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I'll tell you this, I need that verse sometimes. I absolutely need verses like this. A brother is born for a time of adversity. In other words, if you were to ask the question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yep, you are. You're your brother's keeper. In other words, listen, it's not inappropriate to reach out to your friends when you're going through something. In fact, it is part of their job description as a friend. And let me tell you, this is why life groups are such a big deal around here at Westover. Because the moment, the moment a kid steps into kids' ministry, we put them in life groups. The moment a middle schooler attends our weekend services, we put them in life groups. The moment a high, school ser- a high school student attends our high school services, we put them in life groups. Adults, let me say this just as lovingly as humanly possible. But our adults are the only ones behind the curve here. Our students get it. Our kids get it. But it's your turn to find community. It's your turn to find friends and people to surround yourself with that love you for you, that aren't trying to take from you, that want for you. And here's why 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Listen, these words are life, friends. Listen to this plea from Paul, not to pretend perfection, but to absolute authenticity. He said, when you suffer, we all suffer. When you're partying, you better invite us, right? Just saying, I'm waiting for that dinner from some of you. But seriously, listen, you need friends like this, that when you're going through something, they're not just coming up to you and saying things like, hey, smile, Jesus loves you. Sometimes you just need to wallow in it in a couple days, for a couple days. And sometimes you just need to wallow in it with somebody. And you need that friend who comes and they bring the chocolate chip cookie dough, you know, the kind you can eat without cooking it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And they're bringing the Matthew McConaughey movies and you're like, yes, Lord, okay? Some of you need that. You need it. This is all part of what it means to be the body of Christ. And sometimes, listen, when your faith is weak, when you're struggling, you need to know this. You still belong here. In fact, we would say it like this. You belong before you believe. Because we all have moments, listen, when we are struggling to remind ourselves that God could possibly have a purpose even in this. 
We all have those seasons when we are just running low on faith because everything we're seeing with our own eyes seems to point contrary to everything that we believe. And it's in those moments that as friends, as family, we don't abandon each other. I heard someone say this, that Christians are the only army that kick their own wounded. Listen, that's not us here at Westover. If you make a mistake, we're here with you. If you fall down, listen, a brother is born for a time of adversity. We draw closer, and we would so rather that you process your doubts and your questions with us than you feel like some kind of an outsider carrying around a scarlet letter. And I love the way that Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, says this. 1 Peter 4.8, beautiful scripture. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I'll tell you this. This was coming from a guy who loved Jesus a whole, whole lot. But when Jesus, the creator of all things, God in the flesh, felt like he needed Peter, Peter was not there for him. When Jesus was stressed out to the point of sweating drops of blood, a a condition called hematidrosis, and he's praying his guts out, Peter was asleep, exhausted, yes, but available for his friend, no. And when Peter saw from a distance Jesus, his best friend, being put on trial, instead of standing up for him and defending him, he denied any association with him. And when Peter wrote these words, Peter was sharing from his own experience. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Because Peter knew firsthand what it was like to have his friend's love cover over his sins to erase his guilt, to cover over his shame, despite Peter stabbing his best friend in the back. Despite Peter not defending his best friend, his best friend chose to die in his place. In Peter's place, in my place, and and in your place. Because ultimately, Jesus came to prove, not just in word, but by his actions, by laying down his life, that love covers over a multitude of sins, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we just want to take a moment and do business with you. We just, we just want to take a moment and let your words sink in. Father, we realize one of the absolute best things we can do for our growth, our spiritual growth, is to surround ourselves with good, godly friends. Because good friends make the journey of life easier and better. Food tastes better with friends. Cheesy movies are funnier with friends. Like Napoleon Dynamite, that movie was awful. Even our favorite songs are better when we share them with someone that we know and are completely known to. And my prayer is that there would not be one person who's watching online or who's sitting in this audience who does not have not just one, but several good friends who really love Jesus and who really, really love them deeply. Because ultimately, our friends have the ability to determine the quality and direction of our lives. And that's a big deal.
Father, if, if we didn't see the need before, help us to see it now. Help us to see how valuable friendships are to us. Father, we also realize that one of the worst things we could ever do is to travel alone. I love this quote. It says, maybe life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't assume it was supposed to be so easy. Father, we need each other because life is hard. There's nothing easy about adulting. And it's unwise to walk this Christian walk alone. And not only is it unwise, but it's unbiblical. And for a moment, we just want to repent of our stubbornness. Many of us have wrongly assumed that we were strong enough to do this thing on our, on our own and do this thing by ourselves. But even you said this to Paul. You said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God, we need your strength to humble ourselves and help us reach out to others when we feel so weak. And your word says it like this in James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. And God, there's so many of us in shackles right now because our relationships are too shallow to make honest confession and to invite honest accountability. not be so for us. God, let that not be the case for us. God, I pray just for a moment that you would bring to our recollection people that we can reach out to and be friends with. Maybe somebody's sitting right next to us and they sit next to us every week we say hi. We don't even know their names and we're kind of embarrassed. But all we know is that we never hang out outside of church. God, I pray you bring people's faces to mind right now of people that we need to reach out to, people we need to invite. And that we would choose to be that kind of friend. Father, I pray you answer these prayers in Jesus' name. And friends, before we dismiss... I wanted to give you a little homework if you don't mind. Here's the homework. If you're, if you're not connected as one of your pastors, we want nothing more than to see you involved in a life group. Listen, we, we want you to have people who love you. We want you to have people around you that, that you know them completely and they know you absolutely completely. And if you'll pull out your phone on the Westover app, it couldn't be simpler to inquire about a life group. You could ask questions. You can find when they're meeting and you could check them out. You could email somebody right now from your phone. And if you're here and you're already connected, there may be somebody sitting next to you right now who's just a little bit too shy, who would never ask you if they could go eat with you. But, but you're that boisterous extrovert right, that all your introverted friends are scared of, and, and maybe just after we dismiss, you would just reach out to someone next to you, maybe another couple, or, or maybe just someone next to you and say, hey, you, you want to go get something to eat, you know? It's not a date. Unless you want it to be a date, then it could be a date, right? <laughs> I mean, you're welcome, <laughs> some of you. But listen, all it might take is a sheet of aluminum foil filled with some barbacoa tacos, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. And next thing you know, we got revival going on in the church because we're making connections. And listen, for those young adults in the room and for those incoming high school seniors, you're going into, where are the high school seniors in the room? Let me hear you. What, what? You're like, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. That's great. <laughs> Congratulations. We want to invite all of you to our Young Adults Connect Night. It's happening at Taco Palenque off of 1604 in about 30 minutes. And uh, families, if you have not signed up your student for our student conference. Hear me when I say this. This will be one of the most spiritually impactful moments for your middle schooler and for your high schooler. If your student has been dry, if your student feels like their walk with God isn't what it could be, isn't what it should be, listen, they need to sign up for a student conference. And if you need a scholarship applications, you can go to the front desk right after service. You can fill out a scholarship application and if your students awarded, then uh, it would be a little cheaper for them to go. So we love you, and it is such a privilege to get to do this with you guys. You are officially dismissed.